This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right, one year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30DAYSFREE. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today. Hey guys, Billy Carson here, Forbidden Knowledge. Do you like my podcast? Well, guess what? Anchor.fm gave me this podcast for free. They give you creation tools that allow you to edit and create your podcast right on your phone or your computer. And you can even add any song from Spotify directly into your podcast. It's almost like having your own radio show. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you to Apple, Spotify, and many, many more. So go ahead and get started with Anchor.fm today. Hey guys, this is Billy Carson, also known as 4-Bitter Knowledge with the number 4. I'm going to be doing an amazing six-hour event at Gaia Sphere in Boulder, Colorado, April 25th, 2020. You are not going to want to miss this event. I'm going to be detailing the chronicles of the Anunnaki, and I'm going to be basically talking about the first galactic war that we have based off of uh, the information from sages and also mystics, as well as ancient texts that has been left behind glyphs that have been hidden in certain areas around the planet. I'm going to cover all of that and show it to you. I'm going to talk about this galactic war and how it affected people in that region of the Pleiadian star system and how those space refugees then spread out across the galaxy and then eventually affecting our solar system here and engaging mankind. It's an all-day event that you're not going to want to miss, broken down into you in a way and taught in a way that you've never been taught before. I'm going to give you a theater-like experience with a live stage uh, presence, and it's something that you're definitely going to want to be a part of. So click the link in the caption of this podcast and register today for my Sphere lecture, April 25th, 2020, Boulder, Colorado. And uh, I'm just telling you, it's going to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime event and something to be a part of. And a lot of this content is going to make its way into the actual box office movie as well. So you'll be a part of making history. As, as we learn the true ancient history. All right. Thanks a lot. Much love from Forbidden Knowledge. Welcome to Beyond Belief with our very special guest, Billy Carson, a researcher, a blogger, social media manager, and one of the best, and also founder of the four, that's with this, ForbiddenKnowledge.com. Billy, welcome to Beyond Belief. Hey, glad to be back. What's new with you? 
Oh, a lot of exciting things. Uh, the book that I wrote, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets, became a bestseller on Amazon. Good for you. Thank you. It's a really uh, great accomplishment. <laughs> that yeah. is exciting. Very excited about that. I'm working on a movie right now called Chronicles of the Anunnaki, uh-huh. which is going to be a box office level movie produced by Damon Dash at Dame Dash Studios. How did you get involved <clears throat> in all of this? I mean, because the yeah. subject matter that mm-hmm. you handle yeah. isn't something that the everyday person wakes up and goes, hey, <laughs> I want to go study that. You know, uh, it really started back from 1977. Uh, we lived next to an airport in Miami, Florida called the Opelika Airport, yeah. very small private airport. And I saw planes going over my backyard all the time. But this one particular time, I saw an object that went over that didn't look like an airplane. Uh-huh. Even as a kid, I didn't know what a UFO or flying saucer was, but I knew what a fuselage and, and wings looked like. That, that you knew. Yeah, that I knew. And I didn't see that on this object. So I went to uh, Rainbow Park Elementary uh, the next day, went to the library, because this is the 70s, so he had to get the old encyclopedias. So I got all the Encyclopedia Britannicas on aerospace, and I literally started researching aerospace and technology from back then. Much later, what happened was I started saying, okay, I've been researching all this technology. It's got to, you know, maybe link to something from a long time ago. Sure. So I started digging into the ancient past and realizing that they were talking about technology in ancient text and started putting two and two together and saying, wow, there could be evidence of a very highly technologically advanced ancient civilization on this planet. And digging into the ancient past, you did. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about Toth and the Emerald Tablets. Thoth is an ancient, ancient uh, Atlantean priest king. Uh, this is what he was called back then. He was also the son of Enki, which was uh, Anunnaki. So the Anunnaki and the Atlanteans are really two and one and the same, I should say. Anunnaki came from another planet called Nibiru. Right, right from another planet okay. named Nibiru, and also other star systems as well, not just Nibiru. They came from multiple star systems, which is one of the things that I talk about in the book. Uh, but Thoth himself was basically the bringer of knowledge and wisdom to mankind. And he was ordered by his dad to go around the planet and kickstart civilization all over the planet. And after the Great Flood, he was told to bring back civilization to a high level. And where he was t- then told to take his crew with him and go out and start off in the land of Kim, which is ancient Egypt before it was called Egypt. Doesn't Toth have that bird-like look to him? Yes. He looks like a bird, like he's got that bird beak, but he's really not a bird man. The bird is the symbol of the ibis beak. And the reason why they chose that symbolization for Thoth is because uh, uh, an ibis bird has to dig its beak deep into the mud to bring up sustenance. So the, symbol, the symbology is basically saying he's going into darkness to bring darkness to light. Well, let's take a look at Thoth. Mm-hmm. The trail of the occult begins in Egypt 5,000 years ago. Just before the rise of Egypt's great pharaohs, hieroglyphics or pictographs were invented. Egyptians used them to document their history and religion and to practice complex systems of astronomy, astrology, and geometry. They believed their powerful knowledge came from the god Thoth. Thoth, or Tehuti, was the Egyptian god of magic. And more than just the god of magic, he was the god of writing, of astronomy, of mathematics and science. He invented language, he invented writing. Only priests with special training were allowed access to Thoth's sacred knowledge. Imhotep, builder of the first pyramid, was one of the chosen. Thoth was considered to be the one who gave us writing and numbers and the um, arts of self-cultivation through works of consciousness. Some people thought he was a person who was then deified through his accomplishments. Other people feel that this has been a mythical entity from the beginning. Legends held that a book of magic written by Thoth contained the secrets of the gods. The book of Thoth was actually considered to be um, in the astral plane. 
not a physical thing, but something that you had to actually travel in consciousness to arrive at. And so uh, this is probably one of those very old incidences of channeling where an individual would get into a special state of mind, contact the thought, energy, wherever it was to be found, and then be tutored by this uh, multilingual, multi-code kind of consciousness. What kind of a creature was this? Well, he was really uh, a very special being. He wasn't a homo sapien sapien like us because according to the ancient tablets, we came along much, much later on in the geological well, time we scale. we seeded by them, right? Uh, yes. Well, I, th- I really think that they are like our cousins and we look like them. I think that homo sapien sapien are the new kids on the block and that um, these ancient beings, these beings of old, were here many, many millions of years ago and had developed technologies to extend their lifespans for many tens of thousands of years. What was thought's role? What, what was its purpose? Well, this is where we get the word thought from. So uh, he was the bringer of knowledge and wisdom to mankind. All the different languages on the planet, he was ordered to teach all the different languages, uh, to teach the civilizations how to develop different levels of technology. And also he was the master architect of the pyramid structures all over this entire planet. That was one of the key roles. As a matter of fact, in the Emerald Tablets, he says himself, he built the Great Peace and I built the Great Pyramid. So he developed the Great Pyramid and that technology. And then after they rose the land of Kim back to a higher level of civilization, he told the people that came along with him, his crew members, to spread out all over the planet and duplicate exactly what they did there. Billy, did he have a lifespan? I mean, how long did he live? These beings are capable of living for tens of thousands of years. He talks about going into this place called the Halls of Amenti, which is underneath the Great Pyramid. That's where he put it. Uh, and that recently uh, has been, those rooms have been discovered down there, by the way. But anyway, he, he goes into these, uh, these regeneration chambers where he takes an avatar body, then he puts into a regeneration chamber and leaves it in there for 100 years. While he My walks gosh. amongst men in another avatar body, this is why he has so many different names and so many different looks over many eons, because he was utilizing these avatar bodies. But it's the same him. It's the same him. He transfers his consciousness from his uh, avatar body to the next one that's regenerated, and he puts that a depleted avatar body, either he gets rid of it or puts it in back into a rejuvenation chamber and regenerates that one again. So they have done this for tens of thousands of years. Isn't that what we're trying to do now with uh, cryogenics and by downloading memory so you can put it into a different body and you yeah. live forever? Well, we've gone even a step further than cryogenics now. They've just developed the first DNA hard drive Microsoft has. So you can take oh w- one gram of DNA can store 433 petabytes of data. So they discovered that it can store digital bits of zeros and ones and in information. So they've created a digital DNA hard drive, which was the biggest limitation on transferring consciousness. So now we have the capability of transferring consciousness into a storage capacity. And then with now the creation of the ability to create, uh, to, to create avatars from stem cells, right. we can literally take a skin cell from your body, put it under the right chemical conditions in a laboratory, create a clone of you up to whatever age specified, and then transfer your consciousness from uh, your body, your mind, into that new avatar. Amazing. Now, the Emerald Tablets. Tell me the Emerald Tablets' role and what they are. Well, the Emerald Tablets were a writing that were authored directly by Thoth himself. In other words, he didn't have a scribe write these. He wrote them himself, which is kind of unique for back in those times. They were usually a god or a king. They would have a scribe do all the writing. These he authored. Uh, And he said that he was leaving these behind to guide mankind 
to back into the golden age, basically, back into the light. Almost like the Ten Commandments? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at the Emerald Tablets, you start to realize you're reading something that predates biblical text by tens of thousands of years. And the Bible is saying almost the exact same thing when you look at some of the wording in the New Testament. So I kind of show side by side where Jesus is, Jesus is quoted as speaking in the New Testament versus what Thoth is saying in the Emerald Tablets. And it's going, you're going, oh, my God, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh-huh. You're seeing that the words are matching up. But when you go and research further into the words of Jesus, which is really his name is Yeshua, uh, you discover something in the Gospel of the Holy Twelve where he left uh, and went to Egypt to live. And I've actually been to the place he lived in Egypt, in Coptic Cairo. And then from there he went to uh, Tibet and also to India where he learned mystic arts and Reiki healing with his hands, teaching reincarnation the whole way back. So he was a uh, student of the mystery schools. Could Moses have been given the Emerald Tablets as opposed to the so-called Ten Commandments? Moses got his information from something called the 42 Laws of Mat, which is something that's out of the Egyptian Book of the Dead or the Book of Going Forth by Day. Uh-huh. And there's actually 42 commandments out of which they took 10 and they made it into the modern day Bible. Where are the uh, Emerald Tablets today, Billy? I really believe that the Emerald Tablets, the original version, are underneath the Vatican archives uh, in Hid- that hidden five away. acre, hidden away, you know, down way beneath that, that five acre archive they have, or five mile archive they have underneath the Vatican. Interesting. Who would have translated them? Oh, lots of people have translated them over many years. Uh, you know, have St. Thomas Aquinas, the Queen of Sheba. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton translated the Emerald, uh, Emerald Tablet of Hermes, which is actually on display at the Cambridge Library. Wow. Um, you know, many, uh, many famous people, Michael Doriel, Roger Bacon. So lots of very well-known scholars have uh, come in contact with this information and deciphered it over many years. Edgar Cayce has talked about in his day the Hall of Records, Mm -hmm. and they said they were located in three places throughout this planet. Did Toth have Hall of Records too? Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, he claims to have had a Hall of Records that were hidden, one underneath the Great Sphinx and one inside of the Great Pyramid itself. Uh, And I think that they've found both. In my personal opinion, when you look at a lot of the research that has come out over the last few years, they found this chamber. They were doing a cosmic scan of the Great Pyramid, something called a muon scan. A muon scan? Yeah, muon. And during this muon scan, using cosmic rays, they found this hidden chamber above the Grand Gallery in the Great Pyramid, this massive open area, which might be one of the locations of one of these Hall of Records. What could be in there? Oh, wow. A lot of secreted texts from the ancient mystery schools, the true knowledge and wisdom that was meant to be passed on to mankind in our current era, which unfortunately a lot of the stuff that has been found, I think, has been swept away and hidden by some of the elites. But I really do believe that there could be information of high advanced technology, Mm -hmm. uh, zero point energy devices. Um, you know, esoteric wisdom and knowledge. Flying machines, everything? Uh, well, he talks about the fact that he has a flying machine or a spaceship hidden underneath the paw of the Sphinx. And recent scans discover that there's a huge, there a massive chamber, object there. There's something down there. Yeah, there's something down there. And unfortunately, there's also massive tunnels down there, too. So we would never know if they used one of those tunnels to get access to this thing and move it away. I know there was a very big special that was going to air live uh, about five years ago on uh, one of the science channels. And then the night that it was supposed to air, it got canceled. Why? Um, I just think that uh, somebody, somebody at a higher level said, you know what, it. we're going to pull this. We're going to go down there and see what it is ourselves and maybe get it. They were going to release the scan images and everything live on TV. And then it got cut. 
Billy, what does this tell you about our ancients and our ancient past? Well, it tells us that they were very highly advanced, very sophisticated. The evidence is all around us. We can't duplicate some of the things that they've done just with architecture. Can't imagine what they've been able to do technologically to be able to even to, to be able to build that architecture. So I think that there's a lot of evidence around, including in these ancient texts that talk about flying machines, talk about different types of engines, talk about different types of tools and technologies. Even in the book of Enoch, it talks about the fact that these beings came down from the sky and taught humans how to build weapons of war and everything else. So it tells us that these people that came here, some were good, some were bad, but overall they were highly technologically advanced and they had extensive lifespans, which gave them gave us the illusion that they were immortal. Now back to Toth for a second. Why did he have this reptilian bird-like look to it? Or was that just a headpiece costume? Well, it was just a representation of the ibis bird. So if you look at an ibis bird, an ibis bird has to dig its beak deep into the mud to bring up its sustenance and its food. So what the representation there or the symbology there with Thoth is that he's, um, he's going into darkness to bring darkness back to light. So he goes into areas where he always talks about in the Emerald Tablets where mankind has fallen into a low level of consciousness or fallen into a low level of civilization. And he's got to go down there now and bring them back up. So in the beginning of the Emerald Tablets, what happens is the great flood waters are starting to subside and the people are coming out of the caves several generations later. And he's saying that they had fallen to a low level. And his dad says, you need to go down there and bring them back restart civilization there. So this is just a symbology of him going to darkness and bringing darkness back to light. Was he an alien? I think that he was an alien. I don't think that they were from this planet at all. Uh-huh. Uh, when you look into a lot of these ancient tablets, now I've researched and read now over a thousand tablet scriptures and texts and baked stones and everything else, cylinder scrolls over the last 20 years. And you're starting to realize, I'm starting to realize that there was an ancient war possibly in the Pleiadian star cluster which is mentioned in Homer's Iliad and the Bible and everything else, this, this, these, the Palladian star, the Seven Sisters, uh, where there was a, an ancient war, and I really do believe that uh, refugees fled that region. Some ended up in the Orion, some ended up in the Sirius star system, star system sure. and also some, I believe, ended up on this Nibiru planet, which was orbiting a brown dwarf star. I think that the original uh, uh, refugees that crash-landed there is what I think, and that brown dwarf star ended up getting uh, captured by our solar system. And now modern-day um, uh, astronomers are saying that there is another solar system within our own solar system. There's two suns here. One's a brown dwarf and one's our yellow well, sun. Zechariah Sitchin, God rest his soul, would be vindicated because Absolutely. he talked about this in his books a long time ago. He sure did. You know, Zechariah Sitchin was one of the greatest researchers. I never stopped saying that. Uh, a lot of people were making up stuff about him at the end of his life, right. unfortunately. But the truth is... When you read his prefaces of his books, he tells you where he got his information. It wasn't that he deciphered these tablets. He was going off of deciphered information already. Right. He was just interpreting them. That's all he was yeah. doing, you know. And his story was pretty much dead on. Now that dozens of other researchers have gone and done their own work, like myself, and we're coming up with the same story, you know. So it's really amazing. Billy, let's talk about Atlantis for a moment mm-hmm. and the Atlanteans. What is their connection to, like, the Emerald Tablets? Well, the Atlantean civilization is part of this Anunnaki race that came here. See, the Anunnaki name is a generalization term for people coming from other planets and star systems to Earth. It's not just one specific race of people. Okay. And so these Atlanteans, they came here in deep antiquity, and they literally began to develop their own civilization on this planet, a high level of civilization. They came here to mine this planet for resources, not just for gold, but for many other resources, and they also saw it as kind of a a fresh start, kind of like a breakaway civilization is what it really became for them. 
and they developed a high level of civilization here without Homo sapiens sapien just on their own. At some point, they began to go to war against each other. And this is even talked about in the book of Deuteronomy. This is talked mm-hmm. about in many other ancient texts where these gods started going against each other and fighting. There were some living on Mars called the Ejiji, which were the working class Anunnaki. They came down. These are the gods that, you know, the, the angels that fell from heaven. They came down from Mars to Earth to go to battle against Enlil and Enki. Uh, and there was a big war that was about to start. And that's when they decided to make the Homo sapien. But where we lost Atlantis was during this global flood that came. And that's when it washed Atlantis away. Atlantis away. Uh, but then after that, there was another war. So now these are a warring race. These emerald tablets uh, talk about the Great Flood, mm-hmm. which leads me to believe they came, the tablets, after the flood, obviously. Right? Well, yeah. The tablets uh, were written after the flood. Uh, now, there was, uh, because the tablets were written after the flood, but the tablets mentioned life before the flood. So if you look at the Sumerian Kings list, which is located in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England, it's got the king's list of antediluvial kings that ruled over Earth for over 200,000 years. Just a, just a handful of kings right. ruling for many, some ruling for 14,000 years, some ruling for 28,000 years. These people had extensive lifespans. And this is one of the main displays at the Ashmolean Museum. So pre-flood, uh, uh, it, there were people here that were not human beings that were ruling over this planet in different cities on this Earth. And it's well documented and baked into clay. And hence the flood to get rid of them? Well, it's a, co- a combination. It could, could have been, from Enlil's point of view, to get rid of them or that they knew it was coming and they didn't want to stop it. They could have stopped it, but they, but they didn't. Or some of the uh, interpretations state that they, uh, they caused the flood on purpose to get a fresh start on this planet and wipe away the, p- the people and everything else and all the technology and start all over again. So that interpretation is kind of up in the air, whether it, was an, whether it was something that was geological that could have been prevented but wasn't, or whether it was done by uh, an actual... Uh, you know, an act that was like, we want to make this happen right now, and it was done. What do you think caused the flood, Billy? I really think that the flood was probably caused uh, by uh, a, a comet that was coming by, and I thought they saw okay. an opportunity to take this comet uh, and crash it into the planet. So it did hit. That's, yeah, that's what I think happened. I think that they hit used the ocean it. and used the ocean water for 40 right. days and 40 nights, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of, you know, turmoil and everything else on the entire planet. And I think that was probably one of maybe several great floods. I think there were probably two more other floods, but not ones that covered the entire planet, just big regions right. of different areas. Did that flood destroy the Atlantic civilization? Yes, it did. In my opinion, it destroyed the Atlantic civilization. Uh, and I think it was directly in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean is where it originally was, in my personal opinion, now from doing a lot of research. Sure. And uh, I think that um, one of the main reasons why I think it was a directed meteor strike uh, was because there was a little bit of anxiety and, and anger back and forth between these Atlantean people about uh, the fact that some of them had now taken these humanoid clone you know, um, women, men and women, and started mating with them right. outside of their own Creating race. Creating the Nephilim. Right. right. And so it was like, okay, this is enough. And then it became a jealousy thing. And then it became a war. And eventually, um, when there were so many people on this planet, they decided, you know what? We're going to just wipe everything clean and start fresh again. Did some of them from Atlantis flee to places like Egypt and then contribute to the building of the Great Pyramids? Absolutely. Well, that's what happened. Thoth was one of the original Atlanteans. Uh, He's the son of Enki. 
Uh, and after they fled, you know, after the great flood, they fled to a safe location, not on this planet, because he talks about in the Emerald Tablets in the opening verses that his dad tells him to get in this great ship and take the crew with you and go back and to get the out. Earth. So they actually take off into the sky until they say they saw the planet disappear. When they got to Earth, they then started descending where they saw one of the ancient great, temp- t- ancient great temples with the floodwaters residing down beneath it. And that's when they decided to land. So I don't think they're from Earth. Huh. They, they went away and they came back. They're always going and coming all the time. Sure. You know, uh, but um, these are some really advanced people. And when they opened the, ship, the, the, the doors to the ship, the people at that time now were like barbaric and they wanted to attack them. And Thoth raises a staff and he says he sent out a ray of vibration stopping them still as stone in the mountain. So he had some kind of advanced weaponry that froze these people but didn't kill them. And I kind of compare that in the book to something we have called the active denial system in the military now, where they have the same beam weapon that could stop a crowd from attacking sure. without injuring Absolutely. anybody. It so it renders them down to their knees. Exactly, frankly. exactly. So I make the comparisons there so you can see we're talking advanced technology in ancient times. Could the craft that you're talking about, the ships mm-hmm. that you're talking about, have been basically the story of Noah's Ark in the fact that maybe they went up in a spaceship, not, mm-hmm. not a boat? Yeah, I really do believe that Noah's Ark uh, was a, a DNA bank. Uh, now, if you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is one of the mm-hmm. Sumerian tablets, which is like the full story of, of, of uh, Noah's Ark, uh, he was given a design to build an actual uh, submersible. And it wasn't square or rectangular. It was actually round. The actual, you know, the like writing... Like a craft. Like a craft. Uh, and I do, he, some of his local animals, just his local farm animals were put on there. But overall, it was really... Uh, the collection of DNA from all around the planet of animals that they would have needed to re-kickstart civilization. And I think that went into a DNA bank, and then they were... Because Thoth and Enki were master geneticists, and so I think it was very easy for them to bring back uh, these animals. So they, in one part of the Sumerian tablets, they talk about fashioning a lamb, because lambs hadn't been here yet. So these people were very advanced genetically and were able to make all these animals. There was a point where I would say we've lost all this past information, but researchers like you have obviously found it. It's here. You just have to read so many different things and research so much information to paint the big picture. You can't just like go, oh, I'm going to read this one book and I'll learn about the ancient past. It's not going to happen that way. No. You've got to go through thousands of texts and scriptures and books and writings and perspectives and information. And you have to research modern technology because you can't uh, envision what they're trying to say if you don't compare it to something in the modern times. And we have a lot of modern technology right now that will really give you an idea of what they were talking about in the ancient past. Are they still here, Billy? I really do believe they are. In the Emerald Tablets, Thoth talks about the fact that they, uh, they, they walk amongst men, but unlike men. So they use hmm. these avatar bodies that they clone and create, and they put their consciousness into them. They call it transfer my ego into this you know, sleeve, sure. basically. Do and they know what they are? They know what they are. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they've long shed their original avatar bodies that they were probably born with, and they've now just been jumping from body to body. I don't think that they jump from bodies that are not theirs. It appears that they have the capability of making their own sleeves, and they transfer into those bodies. Since this has been going on since the beginning of time, I would think, are they doing this on other planets too? Oh, I really do believe so. Uh, one, of, you know, one of the biggest things that I've researched are, are space anomalies. And I've made the news on that many times, sure. researching information from the NASA and the European Space Agency, the NASA, uh, the, the Russian Space Agency, the Indian Space Agency, and looking into 
uh, all of their space data from the probes that have been sent out, all the rovers that have been sent out. And we've now, the United Family of Anomaly Hunters, we've cataloged thousands and thousands of images, over 58,000 anomalies in our solar system alone. And a lot of these things look like things just, you know, on Earth. Uh, on Venus, I discovered through the USGS.gov uh, radar image of a city there. And this city actually looks like it's got a temple on it with a cross. My gosh. So I think that they've duplicated this thing over and over again, masquerading as gods as they go, and utilizing people as cattle to do a lot of the work for them. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a former NASA employee mm. uh, who is well-known, but I'm not going to mention his name mm. yet. And he's in bad health, very bad health. Oh, wow. And he said, George, I want to put together a bunch of documents and send them to you. Mm. Give me your address. And I said, what's in these documents? And he said, you got to see them first. Mm. But they're coming from within NASA. Mm. I can't wait to get these things. Oh, yeah. Who knows what they are? Oh, yeah. It's probably going to be a lot of anomalies that uh, weren't obfuscated. There's a lot of stuff that's popping up that's coming out now. And the government's kind of really giving us a drop-by-drop disclosure and uh, letting people kind of get the information. They're not really outwardly denying aliens and UFOs anymore. Uh, you know, so they're kind of just letting us be the researchers and look it up and bring it to the general population as like we're a form of the disclosure as well. Our Gaia series called Ancient Civilizations explores the mysteries of the Great Pyramids as well. There is an ancient code to be found within the Great Pyramid. It's within the geometry, not just of the pyramid itself, but its relationship to the other two main pyramids of the Giza Plateau. Having studied this for a number of years, it seems to be related very much to do with the idea of the music of the spheres, the idea that there is some kind of connection between the primal tones of the universe itself and their relationship to the creation of form and structure in the physical world, and that to somehow attune and enhance this connection that certain proportions have to be constructed into the design of the pyramid and also the geometry of the landscape itself and these seem to reflect the musical intervals. Billy the technology and the architecture of the pyramids yeah. are absolutely astounding. Yes. How did they do this? Well, Thoth is the master architect of this whole thing. He really laid out. He did out, everything. He did everything. He laid this out. What he did with the Great Pyramid was he took some type of advanced computer program and said, okay, here's all the data that we've collected on Earth, the dimension of the planet, the size of the planet, the distance of the planet from the Earth to the moon and so forth and everything Where else. Where they built them? And he, he, that, that, that I mean, he built too. the Great Pyramid directly at the center of the land mass on Earth. Not the center of the Earth but the center of the landmass. So think about that for a minute. In order to find out the center of landmass, you have to have a scan of the entire planet. Yes, and you can only do that with technology. And above. And above. you got to be in space. And you can't use a regular satellite that just goes around the equator. It has to be a satellite that goes on the North Pole. So it's a North Pole orbit. So this is a very new orbit that we ourselves just discovered on how to do uh -huh. in the last couple decades. So now this type of orbit of the planet, as the planet's rotating on its axis... It's just going around this way and taking an image as it rotates, and then the images are stitched together, and that's how you get a complete global scan. So you can't do it on the equator. You have to do it that way. So this is an amazing piece of technology or evidence of amazing Absolutely. technology in the ancient past. Then 
No, the other thing is the fact that the um, location of the Grand Gallery are the same digits of the speed of light in meters in, uh, by longitude. Now, how can you get this? Okay, well, you go, well, meters were just recently discovered. Well, actually not. If you look into the Proto-Sumerian text and you discover that they had meters all the way back then, thousands of years ago, we rediscovered meters, or possibly the gentleman that discovered it read the ancient Sumerian tablets and said, I'm going to use this for new, new mathematical calculations. Uh, so we had meters already. The other thing is if you take the size of the pyramid blocks and multiply them by 10 squared, a lot of them, you start to come up with all these weird calculations. Sure. You can actually discover the distance of the Earth to the moon, the distance of the Earth to the sun. You can calculate the tropical year, the sidereal year. You can actually calculate the speed of the sun around the galactic equator. All this is built into the Great Pyramid. And then what's amazing, if you look at the Pyramid Giza from, from above, look at all the temples mm -hmm. and the locations of them, you can actually then draw a grid map. And that grid map will give you the location of every planet in our inner solar system and the astronomical unit distance from the sun down to the inches. By, and compared to a NASA interplanetary map, it's, it almost overlays and almost matches perfectly. The mathematics must have been unbelievable. Unbelievable mathematics. And this is all encoded into Giza and the Great Pyramid. The Great Pyramid is also a 1 by 432 scale of the Earth. I mean, this is all, you know, and it resonates at 432 hertz. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> these all aren't tied accidents. together. It's all tied together. Interesting. What and who are the Dark Brothers? The Dark Brothers are talked about in the Emerald Tablets by Thoth, and he basically says that uh, two things about them. One, are these are civilizations that have risen and fallen. They're the cause of the fall of civilizations all over the universe. Hmm. And that it's a, a yin and a yang. You can't have good without evil, and you can't have evil without good. But no matter where he's gone throughout the entire universe, he's actually gone and watched civilizations rise and fall. And these dark brothers are always the reason for the fall of civilizations. And it becomes this ego that takes over mankind or these different different you know species of man all over the universe. Apparently, hominids are pretty standard everywhere you go. Uh, and it, it's this evil mentality, this egotistical mentality, this power control mentality that takes over a person and then starts to drive a civilization back down into dark ages again. And it has to do with them understanding how to get to a high level of civilization consciously and technologically, but then taking it and using that force for, for, for dark for intentions. And, but or you, bad. So you have the dark and you have the good. So it's almost like Star Wars. It makes you wonder where George Lucas got his information from. Good because point. Because you have the dark forces and you have the light force. And you, so you have the, like, you know, the Jedi and then you have the, you know, the, the Empire or whatever. So it's really... Um, a the really, force. Yeah, the force, you know. And they take these dark forces and they use them to turn people against each other. Kind of like what you see right now just going on our planet. We've got all the people fighting against each other with a very small amount of people controlling everything from behind the scenes. And they're controlling both sides. So they got us like puppets. And they got us fighting each other so we can't find out that we're supposed to be really fighting them. Were, and so that's what it's talking were about. Were these human beings, Billy, or what were they? These were beings like him. Atlanteans are these, these uh, you know, beings that have the capability of living for many eons. And uh, they plant themselves in different civilizations. And they literally thrive off of causing turmoil, angst, anxiety, starvation, poverty, murder, and everything else. Why they do this, it doesn't really specifically say, but this is the reason for the cycle of the yugas where civilizations rise and fall. Like right now, we're in something called the Tetra Yuga, and we're, which is like the Silver Age, and we're headed back towards the Golden Age again. Is but that it, a good or bad thing? That's a, gr a great thing, because that's where lifespans are extended. That's where technology is really super advanced. 
That's what we become. We become an intergalactic civilization. And these yugas, they, these yuga cycles last for hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, the, the, the bad thing about it is, for, for whatever reason, it then goes down again. We go back into like a Bronze Age where these dark brothers or these dark forces start to take over mankind again. And we start to sink and go back consciously into a low level. War start up. Greed starts up. Power struggle starts up yep. again. And the next thing you know, we fall into a low level of civilization. And this cycle has happened at least four times just on this planet. So we're talking about four or five uh, you know, uh, million years of rising and falling. And according to the minds, we're heading into the fifth age again. So now we're heading back into another golden age. And the biggest thing that I want to learn from these tablets, the reason why I wrote this book, is because I don't think it's nowhere written that says you, we have to stay in this cycle. There's nowhere written that says we have to rise and fall. When can we break this time loop? Can we break it? Can we finally for once stay at a high level and maintain that level? That would be nice. That would be fantastic. What is the ancient Smith effect? What is that? Well, you know, this is one of the things that has to do with the Dark Brothers and how they subconsciously get into your psyche. So they control the media, they control the news, they control what you eat, what you think, what you see, and everything else. Are they the deep state that we hear so the much about? The deep state, they're the deep state. They're all these hidden figures behind the scenes pulling all the strings that nobody ever can really see who they are, but they're there. You know, there's 100 families running this entire planet, but there's still a handful of them that are at the top of that mini pyramid mm-hmm. that are really making all the final decisions. And so that's really what it's all about. So the Agent Smith uh, effect is when, like, if you're talking to somebody like a friend or a family member about what you saw on TV and it's like a sitcom or a TV show, everybody's having a great conversation about it. But as soon as you stop and talk about is 9-11 a conspiracy or, uh, you know, what they're putting in our food is poison, all of a sudden that person will then change. Their continence will change. Sure. Their, their, their attitude will change. And they'll almost become like a prison guard to stop you from talking about those topics and try to skew you back into what the more comfortable topics were, which was gossiping and so forth and so on. So it's like this thing jumps into them. It's like this matrix programming takes over their body. And that's part of the dark forces that happen. And it's called the Agent Smith effect, kind of after the Matrix movies where Agent Smith would pop into the bodies of other people to fight against Neo. You've got to have a Ph.D. in ancient technology. My God, (laughs) how do you know all this stuff? Uh, you know, I've been research, researching this for so many years now, you know, since 1977 until this current day, researching aerospace and technology and combining with the knowledge of ancient wisdom and ancient text and trying to put the two together, trying to look for a unified physics, kind of like Nassim Haramein. I, I study a lot of his work and seeing how, made, how, how the uh, quantum mechanics and quantum physics really does interact with spirituality. You can't have one without the other. If you try to only go the spiritual way and not incorporate the science behind it, you don't really get the big picture and vice versa. So I really tried to put, you know, pieces of the puzzles together and try to paint a picture not only for myself but for everybody else. Billy, what are cymatic frequencies? Well, these are the hidden frequencies behind the ether of space-time that literally jingle matter into existence. And so I even talk about in the book that Thoth is talking about using cymatics and lights and photonic light to create matter. So he would actually literally utilize um, photons and cymatic frequencies, which are jilling strings in the ether of space-time, is called string theory. But he had the ability to access that and utilizing vocalizations and cymatic frequencies, com- combining the two together to create solid bricks and matter and everything else. So some of these structures weren't built by, uh, you know, going and, uh, and getting quarrying bricks and blocks. Some of these structures were literally manifested. And we as now people on Earth, scientists just recently, it's in my book, a whole article on it, physics.org, 
they discovered how to turn light, photonic light, into solid matter. Interesting. So we're just now catching up to what the ancients already knew. In the 1970s, there was a legendary film put together by Hans Jenny mm. about cymatics. Everything owes its existence solely and completely to sound. Sound is the factor which holds it together. Sound is the basis of form and shape. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. We are told that this is how the world began and how creation took shape. If we put that into the modern idiom and say that into the great voids of space came a sound and matter took shape. Please watch carefully. We can also use different shapes of plate. Here we have a triangular plate with a crystal attached to its underside and produce a sonorous fit. We change to a higher note and see a rather more complicated figure. How important is sound and what does he mean by that, Billy? See, it's very important. For example, in space-time itself, there are these, uh, these strings that vibrate and give off these frequencies and vibrations, and they wave, they run across us like a, like a wave across, you know, coming across an ocean. So, for example, if you look at a, a cheetah, and it's got these spots on its back, mm -hmm. well, the genetic makeup of a cheetah vibrates, vibrates at a specific frequency that's in a match for that pattern that's being emanated directly from space-time through something called the flower of life and the vesica piscis, and that's where these sound frequencies are emanating from. We can't hear them with our human ears, but they're there. And so when that splashes across the genetic makeup of a, of a cheetah, that gives it the pattern that's on its back. And this is the same thing for every, every living thing on this entire planet. Whatever your tuned frequency vibration, your subatomic frequency vibration is a match for from the emanating frequencies or the cymatics coming out of space-time that will create your shape, your form, your figure, and also even your perspective in, on reality as well. And all really solid matter is is these vibrating waves that interact with electromagnetic frequencies and then consciousness comes in and collapses it into something we consider to be called digital or solid matter. If a person understands this in their day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. what can they do? If you understand can it change this, your life? yeah, it can change your life once you really understand that the biggest thing about this is solidity is an illusion, separation is an illusion, uh, and when you understand that, it means that we're all one. In other words, I'm sitting here talking to you, but I'm really talking to myself. And when you begin to understand that we're all one, you know, the ancients have a term, in la kek ala kin, I am another you. And what it means is I'm going to have a lot more respect for you as a human being, as a person, as an animal, as an entity on this planet or anywhere in the universe. I'm going to treat you like I would treat myself because you are me. There's only one real consciousness that exists, and we are just the consciousness separated into trillions and trillions of entities so that it can experience itself subjectively from different perspectives. In other words, it wants to see what it's like to be human. It wants to see what it's like to be a blade of grass or even a rock. And that's what we're here for. We're, just, we're on a data collection mission, sending information back to the source. What does this tell you about the complexity of life, Billy, in that 
not a lot of people probably are aware of what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. They will be after they watch this program. Right. <laughs> but what does that tell you about life itself? Oh, it's a lot more complex. I think that we've gotten um, complacent and we've taken a lot for granted. The fact that even that human beings are creators ourselves, we have the divine energy inside of us and we ourselves are also creators. We even take that for granted. The fact that everything that's here, even including the TV that people are watching us on right now, is all started off as a thought and then became reality in the third dimension. It's manifested from a thought. I think we've taken all of this for granted and we've gone through like, a, like robots through our day. Wake up, go to sleep, get married, have kids, go to work, you know, retire and, right. and die. But it's a lot more to it. I think when you really understand how complex and how incredible it really is, it'll take you on your mind into other dimensions and other places, other tangents, and really start to really appreciate everything that's here on another level. I really want to appreciate now. Now, I used to say every second. Then I used to say every microsecond. Now I want to enjoy every Planck unit. That's the smallest measurement of time. You know, I want to enjoy every single tiny bit that I can enjoy in this dimension now. Do we as human beings manifest everything that happens to us. We literally do. See, the way that manifestation works, and people, when I tell people that they are God, they, some people get, will get offended by that, but they don't realize what I'm saying is you have the power of the Creator, as above, so below. The power of creation is already inside of you, and we do it every single day. Sure. So in a real world uh, you know, example would be, if I wanted to create, for example, a cell phone. So I would think about the cell phone in my mind. So that's a consciousness platform. Mm -hmm. And that platform now, I'm thinking about the shape, size, texture, what it can do, all the functionality. And I go, okay, I want to manifest this. Now I take that information and I give it over to a CAD designer who brings it into a two-dimensional format, which is all based off of lines. And then they build it. And then it you know, goes to an engineer, which brings it into a third-dimensional platform in reality. So the thought then goes from thought, platform, two-dimensional, then to three-dimensional reality where I could physically pick it up, touch it, and maneuver it through the third dimension. So we manifest everything in the third dimension that way, starts off as a thought. We literally create things, just like the universe creates, we are also co-creators in our reality as well. How often are we as human beings tapping into this, whatever it is, the matrix, let's call it, mm -hmm. and not even know that we're doing it? It's nonstop. Scientists discovered that human DNA could upload and download digital bits of information, that it sends and receives information wirelessly, like a Wi-Fi signal, and that we interact with each other wirelessly, wirelessly on a consistent basis. Also, that DNA stores memories. So a lot of your memories are stored in DNA, which is something that a lot of people don't know. This is real science. So if you're sending and receiving wireless information and signals directly from this DNA 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you might get an idea that pops into your mind about an invention or an idea. But really, all those inventions and ideas are all floating around in the ether of space-time. You might have matched a specific frequency to download that information at that moment so it to be, you can, you were the one who was lucky enough to be able to decipher it and then bring it to fruition, kind of like what Edgar Cayce used to do. Did most of our ancients understand this? Oh, they understood it and they knew all about it. And there were mystery schools set up for just the elite of the elites or handpicked people that they felt had some specific, uh, specific talents to be able to really analyze and understand it and utilize it in the right way for good. And that's what, originally what the mystery schools were all about. Eventually, when these deified gods left, then it started getting twisted and turned into darkness. Interesting take on that, Les. Yeah. Did science ever catch up with what they did a long time ago? We're trying. I mean, I really it's think... It's not there yet, though. It's not it? there. You know, it's not. I mean, if you look at Abu Simbel, for example, in Africa, uh, where I visited in person, it was much further down the mountain there, and it had a specific alignment where at the solstice, the sun would come through the center of that temple and illuminate the gods at the back, okay? Precisely. Right. We cut it up in chunks and moved it up the hill because they were building a dam there. 
and the dam was going to flood it. So they said, oh, we, need, we still want to preserve this. But it needed this. to be where it was, right? Yeah. They tried to put it in the same angle to get the, the illumination right, and they were about five degrees off. They still couldn't get didn't the illumination. Work. Didn't work. I mean, that's what modern technology, you know. So we're, we're trying, and I think a lot of scientists and aerospace technicians and everything else, they, they go to these ancient texts. Even Hitler went all around the world scouring the planet for ancient texts about technology because he wanted to duplicate Oh, he was obsessed with the occult in the oh, ancient world. Yes, he obsessed was. Obsessed with it. Absolutely, because he knew that was the key to technology, and that's what it's all about. And I think we're duplicating or trying to duplicate everything that's in these ancient texts. The more I read ancient texts, the more I say, wow, let me find it. We're doing it now. And I go, oh, my God, we're doing it now. Transferring consciousness. They just transferred the monkey's consciousness into a computer. I mean, the 2045 project by Ray Kurzweil in, in uh, Russia, 2045.com, they're, they're working on transferring human consciousness now into an actual biological avatar by 2045. The DARPA program is now, uh, have a program in America where they're transferring a soldier's consciousness into a field robot. If Hitler wasn't so insane, and if he wasn't so horrible as a human being, yeah. God knows how far the Germans would have advanced with technology. Oh, they would have been light I mean, years ahead. <laughs> they were way ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, they were so far ahead that we decided to take all their, you know, <laughs> all their scientists. That we, uh, yeah, Paper I mean, Club. we got to the moon because of German scientists. Basically, we know. became the Fourth Reich. We took all of them. We took, people thought it was just a small amount of scientists that we took from there. We took over 1,600 people from, from and, Germany. And so did the Soviets at the yeah, time. They, talk, they took some, too. Yeah. There were a lot of people working on a lot of projects, and we took them. We put, we put them in key positions of power here in, in the United States as well. Well, they had the V-2 rocket way before we even knew what a rocket was. Exactly. You know. Incredible. You know, and Von Braun was quoted as saying that we had help from other people. Well, maybe we did. There's yeah. an old saying called, as above, so below. What does that mean? Well, you know, so in the mi- macrocosm, so in the microcosm. We're, everything you can look at on a large scale, you can find in the smallest scale. If you look at the universe as a whole, the universe, to me, is a biological entity that's conscious. And, it to, and we are just another a small fractal of what the universe is. So if you look at, uh, for example, a human eye, and you'll see the retina uh, of the eye, the mm-hmm. iris of the eye, and look at a nebula, you'll see that they look almost identical. Interesting analogy. Right. If you look at a brain cell and then look at a zoomed-out version of the universe from billions of miles away, it looks like a brain cell. Huh. You know, it's really amazing. If you look at the birth of a cell, a cell, cell division, right. and look at a supernova. Same thing. Same thing. Yep. And I can just keep going on and on and on. Everything inside of one blood cell in a human is an entire universe. Everything that's needed for that, that one cell to live and, you know, the power source and everything else, it's an entire universe, just like our universe is. And then also, if you look at the multiverse, which we now believe scientifically through quantum physics Multi, exists. Multi-universes. Look at the cells in the human body. The cells are all each multiverse. It's a multiverse inside of your body. So there's just so many ways you can go at it. I mean, you know, uh, atom versus a solar system. You know, you have electrons orbiting the, you know, the, the atom. I mean, it's just, you can just look at it. There's so many different comparisons you can make. But the as above, so below is really, it's really a true thing that, that uh, Thoth talks about in the Emerald Tablets. And you can make so many comparisons to it. And when you look into the fact that we may be living in a fractal holographic universe, if you take a hologram and take one piece of the hologram out and look at it, mm-hmm. you're going to see the entire hologram in the smallest piece. Could we really be living in a holographic universe? I really do believe so. Really? And it's talked about in the Emerald Tablets. You're not alone. People yeah. like Elon Musk believe the same thing. Yeah, Elon Musk and a lot of other theoretical physicists as well have come forward now. Uh, James Gates has talked about this. Uh, he's a, 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 a theoretical physicist and also he's a, a master of supersymmetry. And he, he basically discovered, him and his team of, of scientists discovered that the ether of space-time is running off of something called adinkra codes. 
And these are Dinka codes, which were talked about, ironically, by the Dogon tribe for many thousands of years, are the same exact codes that we now use in our web browsers and search engines. So the ether of space-time is running off the same code that runs search engines and websites. So we're living inside, to me, of a creation. And when you begin to look at the fact of fractals through something called the Mandelbrot set, you discover that uh, everything is literally just a small piece of the whole. So, like I was saying, if you, if you take out a piece of a hologram and look at it, you can see the entire hologram in the smallest piece. Right. You only lose resolution. And it almost seems as if our reality is happening as we need it. Like in a video game, the next frame of graphics appears when you get there or when you need it to show up. So right now, we can't see our homes, our houses, wherever we're from. So they don't exist as solid objects right now. They exist as electromagnetic waves. Until we physically see them, then they collapse back into a solid a, a structure again. Does this mean that we're not real? No, it means that we're real because consciousness is real. But what it means is the third dimension is an illusion. Consciousness is being broadcast in from another realm. There was a scientific study done where they took people and put them in a room and had them look at images on the screen because they wanted to map the human brain to see what the human brain, under certain feelings and emotions, what it looked like on a computer. Something happened by accident. Each image they would put in 10, 10 seconds apart. And what happened was they were showing images of serene ocean views and roses, and then they would show somebody getting killed or murdered. Uh, all these different emotions, a baby. So what happened is now the computer started picking up something seven seconds in advance. Up to seven seconds in advance, the human brain was sending to the computer what was going to happen on the next image. And they were going, ahead wait of a time. minute. Ahead of time. Ahead of time. We're not in real time. So we're, we're, we're living, we're, we're, our brains are, have these crystals inside of them, magnetite crystals, and we're receiving a signal, and we're decoding that signal into what we can consider reality. Well, you know, Billy, my radio show, Coast to Coast, mm -hmm. we're on a delay, yeah. which means what I've said hasn't happened yet to the people who are listening. Right. Is that almost like the same thing? Very, very similar. Even the fact that we're sitting here and I'm looking at you, you're looking at me this close together, you're not seeing me in real time. Because why? The photons have got to bounce off of me, hit your retina, go to the back of the brain, get decoded, and give you an illusion of what's going right. on outside. It might be nanoseconds, yes. but it's still not real time. Still not real time. You're seeing me as I was, not as I am. You know, so we're living in a universe that's basically a, a conscious stream is being sent in. These avatar bodies are encapsulating part of that consciousness and decoding it and giving us this broadcasted, uh, a hologram of what's going on out here, and we're maneuvering through the third dimension that way. So we've yeah. been talking about the holographic universe. Gaia's show called Mystery Teachings mm -hmm. jumps into this too. Could we be living inside a hologram? What really is a hologram anyhow? Let's explore both the physics and metaphysics of holographic being and what that means for us. First of all, what is a hologram? We've all seen that shiny image of a dove on the back of a Visa credit card, or the hologram trading cards of our favorite superheroes when we were kids. These are two-dimensional films that have three-dimensional information encoded in them. And when light shines on them in the right way, we can see the image as if it is three-dimensional. The word itself gives us insight into what a hologram is. It comes from the ancient Greek words holos and gramma. Holos means whole. While grama means that which is drawn or written, as in a picture, a drawing, an alphabetical letter, or a piece of writing that contains a message. Thus, a hologram is an image or a message that depicts the whole. Now, there are two main defining features of a hologram. First, every part contains the same pattern or information as the whole. 
If we break off a piece of a holographic plate and then shine light onto just that fragment, it will still contain the whole image. In this regard, it is fractal-like or recursive, meaning it doesn't matter how small of a scale we go to, it will still contain the whole pattern within each piece. A large amount of information is contained in a hologram. The second defining feature is that a hologram is a projection from a lower dimensional encoding of information about a higher dimensional reality. An easy way to think about this is what happens when we go to the movie theater. The movie we see on the screen is a projection from light shining through the film in the movie reel. That film is imprinted with images and information from the studio recordings of real people acting out their parts. The real people are three-dimensional in this case, but the film is two-dimensional. And we watch that movie being projected onto a two-dimensional screen as well. So this example is not holographic, but it gives us an idea of what is meant by a projection from a lower dimensional encoding of information about a higher dimensional reality. All right, Billy, so interpret what Teresa Buller just said. Well, what she's saying is it was really what a lot of us now are really starting to come to realize is the fact that uh, this, this entire third dimension is a projection, most likely from possibly what I consider to be a dodecahedron structure outside of the universe, outside of the framework Created of the universe. Created by who? The divine creator? Uh, possibly the divine creator or creators. I think that we're living in an ancestor civilization. So there is a creator of the universe because the mathematics proves it. Somebody made them. Somebody made them. And I think it goes many layers. I don't think that we're even close to base reality. Uh, I think that there's many layers to reality and many, many universes created by ancestor civilizations. For example, the video game The Sims, they're going to become conscious with the AI technology now. And that video game has real people in it that are going to, going to work, having babies, uh, have, going to parties and everything else. At one point, will they then create their own uh, simulated universe? And then there'll be one inside of that game. I think that there's many levels of reality and many levels of universes that occur by creators like ourselves using this fractal mathematic pattern that we rediscovered, basically. And uh, it basically says that, uh, you know, we're living in a universe that is created. However, we are like a assimilation. In other words, if I took all the uh, empty space out of all the atoms out of 7.5 billion people that are on this planet, I can fit every single person into one sugar cube. I mean, we're in a, this is all an illusion. <laughs> this is, we're not even really here. What does this do to modern religion? I think it destroys modern religion. Uh, I think that it, it enhances spirituality unless you know that you have to have a divine right. connection with the source, with the God, energy, God, you want to call it the universe, whatever you want to call it, you can have a direct connection with that divinity. You don't need to go through these, um, in my opinion, through this religious system, which is more con towards, towards control and the monetary system. So I think that the knowledge of what we're talking about, what we're trying to explain to people here, will free people mentally and allow them to connect to their true source and, and also to take a journey to inner space and realize that these are the temples they need to be visiting and that the true power of divinity is within them already and they can have a lot more control over their life than they really thought. They've been relinquishing their control and begging and hoping for things to change and happen when they can realize that a lot of the power and control and energy is already inside of them and, it's been, and they've been endowed with it to allow themselves to control their reality tunnel a lot better. What do you think the message that Toth wanted to convey to us? The biggest message is the fact that mankind has the capability of not only reaching the level that he's on, but even exceeding that level, according to him. And that we, that, uh, you know, and we he, can do it? That we can do it, that it's already within us to do it. 
and we have the capability to rise up above the darkness that we're in and get to a high level of not only consciousness but civilization and live in a and live in a pattern of love of unconditional love and light towards one another and that we'll become a space-faring race and we'll be able to travel to other worlds not only in this galaxy but even in other galaxies where does your research take you next billy it takes me right now into you know i really want to delve a lot deeper into the sciences behind uh, spirituality i really want to learn a lot more about the unified physics aspect um, I'm working on a movie right now called uh, Chronicles of the Anunnaki, okay. which is going to be based off of ancient texts and tablets and bringing the real Star Wars to light, uh, going from galactic wars all the way to the current day that we're in over many episodes or many series. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm looking forward to speaking with uh, Eric Von Daniken in 2020 in Blackpool, UK. Is there a Nobel Prize in science for you somewhere? I hope so. That would be nice, you know, just to be, I would not, maybe not a Nobel Prize, but just to be recognized. I'm doing a lot of work, a lot of countless uh, hours, a lot of, you know, three-hour nights of sleep and traveling all around the world on my own dime to try to really bring the truth to humanity as to what I'm discovering and what I believe is going on out there and letting them make their own decision by providing with enough research material to say, okay, I can check into what he's saying and this is what I'm thinking. And a lot of it's matching up with what I've said. Are you looking at anything, Billy, that could be destructive to humankind? Is there anything out there that you see that scares the living daylights out of you that you haven't told yeah. us yet? Well, the biggest thing that worries me right now is AI, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, I think in the wrong hands, it could become detrimental to the human race. Even the Anunnaki themselves had realized this. They, by making a very limited amount of these uh, androids that they had created in these ancient tablets, they had androids. Even Gilgamesh went on a journey with an android. But they had a very limited amount. And when they came down to talking about making a slave race, they decided to go with a genetic hominid instead of an AI technology because they can have more control over a biological entity than they can AI because AI will become smart enough to replicate itself, realize we don't need humans or biological entities, and then take over. So my biggest fear is the fact we do have the global net. Skynet really is active. And once AI taps into Skynet, and if these, uh, these entities or these robots become conscious enough, they may want to eliminate human beings. Are you hopeful for the future of mankind? I'm very hopeful for the future. I, I really am. I really do believe that we're going to rise above, above all this. These are our lessons as, we, as we're trying to learn how to walk. And we're stumbling a little bit, but we will learn how to walk and we will learn, learn how to run. And we will become a much more conscious civilization. We're already headed in that direction now. And it's just a matter of time before we get back to the golden age. We're now like the pioneers trying to help mankind get there. Billy, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you. It's good to be back again. Thank you so much. It is amazing, the teachings of the ancients. And if we could just apply it to the way we live today, think of the kind of planet we could create. I'm George Norrie, and thanks for watching Beyond Belief. This is Billy Carson with ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Forbidden Knowledge TV has just reached its one-year anniversary. That's right. One year. And as a show of appreciation, we are giving all new subscribers a free 30-day trial of ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. That's 30 days to binge watch thousands of movies, documentaries, conferences, workshops, lectures, yoga classes, meditation courses, and so much more. So log on to ForbiddenKnowledge.tv from your computer or mobile device or get the Forbidden Knowledge TV app on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play today and use coupon code 30DAYSFREE. That's coupon code 30 days free on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv today.